Hi, you're listening to the Modern Club Management Podcast with me, your host, Ed Chapman. This podcast takes the lived experiences and knowledge of some of the leading figures and thinkers from the world of club management and beyond, all so that they can become your teacher and elevate your performance. Whether you're looking to start a career in club management, are a seasoned club manager at a world-leading club, or work elsewhere within this wonderful industry, there will be powerful messages and key takeaways that can help you in your career or personal life. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Club Management Podcast with me, your host, Ed Chapman. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Gareth Macklin. Gareth is the founder and managing director of Obigolf. Obigolf is an integrated software platform that gives peace of mind to club managers around their compliance, safety, and training in less than five seconds. Obi is evolving at pace with the aim of becoming the number one golf compliance platform globally. Gareth, thank you for joining me on today's episode. Total pleasure. Great to be here. I'd love to start off first. Can you just give us a bit of background into before Obby Golf? Kind of what's got you, what got you passionate about safety and compliance, and what some of your other involvements and businesses you've had? No, well, look, great question, Ed. So, my background: we are a family business before Obby. Uh, we own and operate hotels and care homes uh, in Ireland. Um, family business going almost forty years. We employ approximately sort of between six and 650 people, depending on seasonality of the business. And again, obviously, you know, vast array of dealing with a lot of similarities with golf clubs, you know, particularly from the hotel side of things. As I said, my job is very simple, is to look after everybody under our roof. You know, that's first and foremost our staff, all our visitors, all our clientele, and then if we take the care homes in, all our residents as well. So the transition across to Obby again, was a, a relatively simple but extended journey in that this was a product we were looking for our own business five or six years ago. Um, as I said, I'm not a technologist in terms of, I describe it a bit like a car, is that if you want to go to Dublin tonight, I can take you down the road, no problem, to the airport. I can drive you. I can just about put fuel in the car. And if the wheel gets flat, well, we're probably 50-50. After that, what happens under the bonnet, I don't have an awful lot of idea. The same from the technology side of things at a high level. So like I would have bought a lot of our systems over the years in terms of integrating systems, electronic side of things and getting the use for operators. Um, again, if you ask me about deep coding and sort of a, all your ones and zeros for binary, I have people much, much, much more intelligent than me are able to look after all of, all of that side of things. And it was very simple, Ed. We were looking for a platform that the challenge was very simple, was with three key aspects of the business. The people aspect, then the process aspect in terms of you know looking at things, signing off things, checking things, and then the property aspects, including both you know internal checks, external contractors, and the umbrella over the top of that was all over sort of safety compliance. And in summary, we've seen that there was lots of individual solutions that have been around, everything from pen and paper through to customized technology solutions that did part of the problem but there was nothing that brought it all together. And that's simply what we created. Hmm, that's interesting. And 
kind of what made you go more into the golf and club route is golf a passion of yours then complete luck to be honest with you yeah so golf um i play i'm very fortunate that i get to play a, a, even a little bit of, of three young kids which i have a, a very supportive wife like that but the the luck came as i said sometimes uh, you need a, a little bit of hard work and a little bit of luck we created the platform nothing whatsoever to do with golf we work with all the other major industries in terms of manufacturing hospitality construction retail etc we spent about three and a half to four years in those industries and we launched officially uh, after taking the pain points of all those industries to sort of a final solution um, which we launched on st patrick's day 2020 in the manufacturing sector there was a wee thing ed you've probably never heard of it <laughs> called COVID. um you know, it, it was a belfast thing uh, so that kicked in over here in Belfast. But basically, in summary, a week after uh, we launched uh, commercially, we closed down the sales office again for pretty much a year. Um, we kept all the technology and stuff going, um, and we actually digressed slightly. We created a, a COVID application specifically for allowing staff to be you know, checked, temperature checks, health checks. We give that away sort of uh, free in many cases sort of to help the industry. But come back to sort of a year later, which is sort of mid-early 2021, we went back to the manufacturing sector. and We ran into an individual who was a very, very a significant manufacturer, but it actually turned out he was very, very heavily involved in the golf industry entire career. And the summary of the product was, he said, look, Garth, I love the product for my manufacturing business, but you need to do golf clubs. And I'll be honest here, I've been around golf for a while at a very light players level. I was slightly confused. And he said, Garth, look, it's very, very simple. If you take my manufacturing business tomorrow morning, if you look in the left-hand corner, he says, I have machinery that if you use it wrong, it'll chop your arm off. He says, sit on my desk. He says, I've got policies, procedures, stuff on my computer, all those things like that, that we need to distribute around the business. And he says, if you look up at my roof, he says, I've got fire detection units. He says, I've got sprinkler systems. And he says, I've got fire uh, extinguishers on the walls that external contractors come in and check at the appropriate time. But he says, in manufacturing, safety is one of our number one KPIs. He says, we as an industry completely get it. But he says, I've been around golf my entire life. He says, I'm an ex-amateur. You know, I've sat on boards, I've sat in committees. And he says, unfortunately, the industry in golf is nowhere near sophisticated for a whole range of reasons. But the exact same laws of the land exist in my golf club as my manufacturing business. We looked at this and said, I left the meeting and I sort of thought, well, look, you know, this is a crazy idea. This will go nowhere. Um, but it kept sort of ticking on the back of your head and we spoke to a few people and then a few more people. Um, we then got in just a, a lady who I'm sure many of you listening to, Wilma Erskine, who was head of Port Rush for 35 years, brought the Irish Open in 2019 and is renowned as you know one of the most prolific and highly regarded ladies in the industry. She's seen the platform and she said, look, I completely love it. Um, she then came in on one of her sort of a senior board of advisors. And we met a, a whole wealth of other people along the line um, you know, Brian and Rory from BRS Golf uh, came in and have helped us and many, many other people. And each stage we showed this to experts within the golf industry and everybody kept saying, yeah, we love it. And it went to a further stage and further stage. Late last year, we won a, a UK national competition um, for Innovative Product of the Year. And the conclusion then, as of the 3rd of January this year, we took the entire business in a different angle and all we're doing now is golf clubs. That's a big pivot. Just a little bit. But thankfully, it's going in the right direction. I said at the minute, you know, we've signed some of the, 
the the best names in golf uh, across the UK and Ireland uh, sort of from a standing start. That's one of the big headaches for golf clubs is safety, compliance, having that ticked off in the sense of peace of mind with a solution. I imagine that's relatively speaking, an easy sell for managers to their boards. It's interesting, Ed, I would say yes, and I would say no. Um, I say yes, you know, there's people who completely get this, you know, they're working very hard, you know, there's a whole range of solutions out there. You know, many people are working with professional consultants who are coming and helping them They come in for maybe like a day a year. And again, we very strongly advocate that, you know, we work alongside a lot of consultants. The challenge again for those managers, and those consultants is that they're looking at safety, for example, at one moment at a point in time. So, you know, even our own business, for example, you know, whilst we have all been in place, I have one of the top safety consultants in the country who spends many days with us across the whole nursing homes and care homes because safety is so important. But the challenge off the back and ironically coming back to name, you know, OBI stands for obligation, is that safety is not just a general manager thing. It's not just a responsibility of the board. Everybody within the golf club has to take an element of obligation. So as I said, for example, if I'm a member of the greenkeeping staff, and it's my job to maybe check a fire extinguisher once a week uh, in the greenkeeping shed. Well, if I don't do that week after week, well, nothing might really happen until it does. And then God forbid a spark comes off a piece of machinery, we need a fire extinguisher, it's not there or it's not working correctly. And then we've got a problem. And coming back to the managers, those managers who get it, you know, as you see, I know we're going to touch on the survey, but the biggest challenge is managers trying to check as things done, have people fulfill their obligations in whatever system they're using at the minute. I think the counter side of things, and we found this very much in the last 12 months, is the counter bit where you unfortunately have maybe board members um, that it's not that they're alien to the health and safety, but they don't actually realize the full consequences of it. So again, we're just releasing the paper shortly that the legal responsibility the committee people have. We work with, you know, Howden Insurances, you know, they're the official share of the PGA and the official share of the GCMA, you know, exceptionally, exceptionally knowledgeable in the whole golf side of things. And the bottom line, if you sit on a golf committee tomorrow morning, there is the position where as a committee member, you may have a legal responsibility for something going wrong within the club. Therefore, health and safety actually can be a legal requirement of an individual member who otherwise thinks they're sitting there to try and you know make the club better, maybe bring a better captain's day, bring in some more money through the bar. And I would probably say that that lack of knowledge for committee members is probably something that needs to be addressed because unfortunately, if things go really wrong, um, it can come back to bite people. It's interesting. I, I guess some of that comes from because it's not happened, it's not seen as a danger or something easy to forget forget that there's a book i read fairly recently called warnings uh, these two ex-fbi agents who talked first half was about bad things that had happened tsunami in japan causing a nuclear meltdown and the common factor was the retort to these warnings was oh but it's never happened that bad before and then it does happen i imagine that's probably part of the challenge as well with like to say that like the example of the Fire extinguisher being checked. It's not a big deal if there's never been a fire there, but it's the what if. We 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 call that what we've learned in the last nine months. In turning, we would call it the ostrich effect. 
is we've heard it time after time that people or managers or club committees will go, well, look, she's not happening to us. She will just stick her head in the sand. And, you know, if you run the statistics for every hundred clubs you look at, how many people have a fire, have a significant injury, have a fatality, you know, the unfortunate thing is, but when you look in the bigger picture, you know, we can tell you now from the data, on average, 23 people get killed in golf clubs in America every single year. You know, if we take it closer to home, in terms of serious fatalities, thank goodness, they're extremely, extremely rare. But at the same time, if we go to something as simple as a basic hand injury, which, you know, is obviously more common, mm. you know, a basic hand injury in the UK, looking at the government's figures, the average period is £102,000. So if you take wow. like, an insurance payment like that and you say, well, look, actually, somebody has trapped their hand in a piece of machinery, they maybe have lost just a finger, and I'm saying just a finger relative to fatality, well, all of a sudden, if you're looking down the barrel of a you know, 50, 100, £150,000 insurance claim, um, and again, there's cases there which are published within the UK that actually that responsibility where somebody has got hurt can again come back onto not only the club, but actually onto individual managers. So again, there's a, another case which is fairly widely publicized where an uh, individual member of the public got hurt and the manager themselves was held personally liable for part of the claim. So I think the claim was almost £400,000 uh, and the manager themselves was held responsible for up to 20% of the claim because they hadn't ensured safe operating procedure within their golf club and the club themselves was held for the other 80%. Yeah, wow, that certainly brings it home, I think, into the, the potential downfalls and and pitfalls of this. So then within that, how where does Obby fit in within that kind of framework of making it easier? And then we'll start after that getting into the survey a little bit. Yeah, well, look, the problem that we said, as I said again at the start of the conversation, I am not a technologist. I'm an operator through and through. I said I've been hotel general manager, which other than we sit in Belfast and we don't have lots of green acreage and flags in every 18th hole, it's very, very similar. You know, we've got people, we've got public, we've got hospitality. And the problem, as I said, that we're solving in incredibly simple terms is take the people aspect. Well, look, if you take the obligation, your staff start tomorrow morning as a new member of staff, have we got all the paperwork, all the contracts, everything in place? Usually we have. Have we got all the policies and bits and pieces signed off, everything from an employee handbook through to safe working procedures? Through even something as simple as you know, you know, uniform policy. Well, usually we have like that. Then we go into the processes. You know, greenkeeping staff are going out. You know, they're doing maintenance checks and machinery. Somebody in the kitchen is doing checks of fridges. Well, usually they check most of the bits and pieces. And then we go into the safety aspect. You know, have people seen um, you know health and safety training? Have they got moving and handling training? Well, most of the time they have. And you see a lot of usuallys and most have. This is what we see of the best of clubs is. Unfortunately, we see an awful lot less than that. But the trouble is, it's a bit like your conversation. You know, it doesn't happen to me until it does. You know, even in the last nine, 10 months, we've met multiple clubs. You know, we were with a club there very recently that they got visited by the health and safety executive, which you know, is not common practice. The health and safety executive said to themselves, look, we're only out coming to the industry because we don't really normally check golf clubs, but it's something's come up on our radar and we're starting looking at a few things. They walk through the door. They didn't have the appropriate paperwork. They didn't have the appropriate bits and pieces. The health and safety executive inspector wasn't very happy and has basically you know, put a sanction on them and sort of get this fixed very quickly or else nothing has happened. Nobody's injured. There's no accidents. There's no anything like that there now. So what we do very simply 
is allow that distribution of information to all of the staff in literally seconds. We allow a manager you know, to look at the compliance in their club in less than five seconds. And in really simple terms, we just take all those little solutions there into one portal that I, as the greenkeepers mentioned earlier on, if I need to check a fire extinguisher, it tells me what I need to check when I need to check it. It's like a sort of personal reminder. If I do it, if I fill my obligation, you're my imaginary manager, Ed, you don't need to worry about it. It's all done, checked, stored away in the cloud. But if I don't do it, it reminds me again. And if I keep not doing it, it then says to you as my monitor, look, Gareth hasn't checked the fire extinguisher. You might need to have a word with him. And it's just a very, very simple platform that we've built that whilst it's deep and sophisticated, you know, our lead designer was designing children's education software for over 20 years. And the remit we said at the very start, look, this needs to be child play. Ultimately, the people who are using this are operators. You know, they don't have time spending hours and hours running after technology. You know, we need to be front of house. We need to be dealing with you know, the guests coming in. We need to look after customers, drive service, drive standards. But ultimately, at a minimum, we need to meet our legal minimum standards. Yeah, that sounds a great solution where it's hands-off in the sense the manager can just glance at it to know what's not been done as much as anything to then free up free up time for everything else your survey you did this year your release can you just talk a bit about who you know what the kind of clubs distribution of who participated and kind of the main goal behind the survey maybe and then we'll dive into a few data points i picked out Perfect. So the idea behind it was very simple. We obviously came in the industry uh, at sort of the tail end of last year, and we were, you know, speaking of the likes of the guys in the GCMA, the CME, and even the IGCMA over in Ireland. And uh, whilst they're all extremely, extremely supportive of the platform, one of the questions we then said and discovered was, look, safety, unfortunately, is not necessarily something at the top of the manager list. There's a lack of knowledge, and these different occurrences kept coming back. So we then say, well, actually, folks, do we know how good or how bad it actually is in the industry? Has anybody got any data you know, points? And it came back sort of universally that, no, we as an industry didn't know actually where we're at. So between the whole lot of us and then some other key stakeholders, as I mentioned earlier on, Howden Insurance, you know, Rubik Law and several other you know, sort of key health and safety people all came together. Obviously, we then facilitated the whole thing and we put this out to the membership of you know, the three governing bodies. This went out completely anonymously. And the survey results come back, which again, I know you're going to come on to, uh, sort of across sort of the UK and Ireland, the CMEs guys uh, in Europe. And then secondly, and alongside that, we then did a survey, sort of, I'm saying face-to-face, but you know, electronic face-to-face and Zoom and Teams and stuff like that with approximately 100 managers on a deeper diver, a more qualitative side of things and really sort of trying to get under the skin of the challenges bits and pieces. So the first one uh, I pulled out, I looked at, was that 40% of clubs still seem to store their health and safety in a filing cabinet. I imagine that poses a number of challenges, not least actually finding the bit you need to find. And then if you need to actually check anything, would take consume so much more time. Is there any, what would be the other kind of potential downfalls to that as well? We, we have literally seen everything, Ed, as I said, I think the 40%, and that's where we take the qualitative side of things, um, is probably underestimating it. Um, I think the actual, a digital solution, accounted, I'm just trying to take figures for 
you know, it was a single digit number that actually had a digital solution. So if we take it a bigger figure, 90 odd percent of club managers have a range of solutions that involve nothing, stuff sitting in a filing cabinet right through to, again, I've met manager after manager who have got the stuff sitting on a pen drive, a single pen drive. So it's not even in a filing cabinet that, you know, if they lose the pen drive or it comes corrupted and again, you know, manager says, oh, well, look, I got this from one of my previous roles. I've taken this all off the previous computer and I've got this all here. And I said, no problem at all, but who else in the club has got it? Who has signed off on it? Who is seeing the stuff? So they, whilst they maybe thought they're further ahead because they had a pen drive, hadn't even transferred it into a paper copy for somebody to sign off on it like that. And the obvious side of things is very, very simple. You know, if it's sitting pen drive or sitting pen and paper, and the question, as I said, well, actually, as a club manager, can you be assured that Gareth, the imaginary greenkeeper, checked the greenkeeping, or your training's all up to date, or your external contractor who's supposed to, you know, maybe check the extract and fans in the kitchen, or whatever those things are, are all done as per the obligation of people. It is almost impossible. And the reason why I know that as an operator myself, that's the problem we started with. You know, we're saying, look, we've got all these systems, we've got all these checklists, all the bits and pieces. And we have a very, very thorough system. But the ultimate side of things is what we wanted the manager in less than five seconds to be able to look at something and say either we're compliant or not. And if we're not compliant, let's dig down a little bit and we're a... Uh, so you know, the bit going the counter side of things is that at an extremely high level, I could train a manager in less than 30 seconds to look at the platform instantaneously. And they could see whether their imaginary club is compliant or not, which they just can't do with all the other solutions. Yeah, that's perfect. And I suppose the, the thing maybe that doesn't always get thought about, it's the cost side of it in terms of if you've got to spend, I don't, I don't know, I'm just picking around a number, 50 hours a year f- going for your filing cabinet to check paperwork to see if you're up to date. Well, that's a full working week you've essentially wasted on that rather than other duties. If there's something where it's as simple as, a few seconds, however many times you need to do that, maybe something that almost gets missed as a benefit. And there's so many costs out, and you're completely right. People sort of think as well, look, Garth, you know, how much does the platform cost? It's X, Y, or Z, like that, you know, and they make a decision based on that relative to, you know, a cost basis. There is so many of those hidden costs. As I said, like the alternative value of time, as you've just talked about. Well, actually, if I am, for example, a general manager and you go into your 50 hours that's example number one if we go to the other side of things and say i'm a new member of staff ed joining your club tomorrow morning well actually if we can make my induction better and my longevity staying with the organization or the club you know we know how shortage of staff is across the industry at the minute you know the latest figures now these are at least 18 months old the latest sort of uk figures is for an entry level member of staff at a minimum wage from a recruitment and an induction side of things is almost £4,000 by the time you take you know, their upskill and their training and stuff like that. So if you can communicate more effectively with a member of staff, which we allow you to do, if you can get their induction better, which we allow them to do, if you can help with the training, which we allow them to do, and even they only stayed for another six months, for example, well, you know, there's £4,000 of sort of cost that you're coming into. Never mind you've got a senior manager who, at the minute, if they're doing a really good job to meet their legal minimum requirements, they're running around checking all these bits and pieces. Department heads are running around checking these bits and pieces. And then thirdly, down the resources side of things, you know, we've worked with people there that, you know, before we're coming into golf, they've got an employee handbook, you know, 85, 90 pages. 
traditionally they should be printing these off for staff they're giving them they're signing them off then every time there's a policy update they have to print something else etc and all of those things the time effort the cost of paper you know the green credential side of things um you know it is very 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 significant when you go down to every aspect and that's if you're doing it the counter side of things is well let's just work on the basis we're doing the ostrich effect we're not doing it and unfortunately we are one of those people that everything is fine today and tomorrow morning you know we didn't think it would happen but somebody has nipped their finger and lost the top of a finger well our insurance guys are then coming in saying well look we want to see all this bits and pieces you you're running around trying to dig it out and then you've got to pay it a hundred thousand pounds which affects your premiums and all those things so no matter what way you get it there's an awful awful lot more costs uh, than most people think about mm. i guess you could also void your insurance if you've but I wasn't even going there. And again, as I said, I was with a club there recently. Um, as we know, and this is something you know, we've found very much, you know, fire regulations is something that you know I, I was sort of taking nearly a sort of bread and butter, and I presumed everybody was the same. You know, one of the things we talked within the survey, particularly on the the face to face, most people will know that the fire regulations in the UK is that you need to bring in an external competent a uh, person to on once a year basis to sign off that your fire and your risk assessment stuff like that. However, the British standard best practice, the insurance best practice, all those things is that you're checking your fire extinguishers and your fire detectors on a weekly basis. You're doing the sounder alarm and things like that. We surveyed over a hundred clubs. We had less than 2% of people who were doing it on a weekly basis. Now that's all completely fine. And as I said, as somebody who knows firsthand, you know, we've only had one major fire in 35 years. Thankfully, nobody was hurt, significant damage to building, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds of insurance claim. And post the incident, whenever you have the police on site and the fire brigade and you're standing at four o'clock in the morning, every safe, that's the most important bit. But in the days, weeks and months ahead, you're then working with the insurance companies, you're then working with the accident investigator uh, you know, for the claim and stuff like that. And they're going, well, have you got this check? Have you got that check? And you're relying on getting like, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds of claims or, you know, we've seen within the golf industry, you know, claims much bigger into sort of the million side of things. Then and only then you really go, well, flip, thank goodness we were doing our checks because, um, you know, a club I was with last week, they had not done any fire detection check, including their external contractor for over three years. And as I said to the guys when I left that day, I said, look, I would love you to buy the platform. But I says, whether you decide to or whether you don't, before I hit my car in the car park this afternoon, please do me two things. Put off your fire alarm detection system, do a sound alarm check this afternoon and put it in the book somewhere and ring the expert company, as in the people that installed that for you and get them out immediately. Because whilst you're talking about insurance, Ed, God forbid if an incident happened in that building there today, I'm not an expert, but I would be 99% sure their insurance would be invalid. But more importantly, if somebody got seriously injured or God forbid died, and whilst it's extreme, these things in rare occasion do, somebody in that golf club is going to jail on the committee for corporate manslaughter. Yeah, that's say something I think wouldn't get thought about. But yeah, that's anecdotally in the last few years. Now, whether it's just more available through social media, albeit that's been around a long time now, seems like so many more clubhouses have burnt down in the last five years than I can recall seeing in the past. I'm sure it's just a coincidence it's happened to be recent, but it sticks in the mind that has been these it does happen i think it's a combination of factors and again it's something i've heard from the industry 
is that generally speaking, we didn't hear about these things because of the lack of technology communication and social media. And, you know, you were generally picking up a lot of these things from, you know, it needed to be a really, really big fire to hit one of the national newspapers, for example. The challenge is now, as we know, 30 minutes after an incident happened, half the world can know about it because of, you know, Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that. So I don't know where the numbers going up or are they going down, honestly, I don't know, but certainly people have said repeatedly, and that's not just about fire, that's about, you know, did you hear about that person who got struck in the uh, head by a golf ball and they got the 400,000 pound claim? You know, I am not involved necessarily until about 12 months ago in the, in the golf business, but as soon as it came in, multiple people said about this thing because, you know, it passed around very widely. Did you hear about that incident in X or did you hear about that thing that happened and why? Because of the communication. And unfortunately, that then makes it more peripheric uh, and people need to be more aware of it and then sort of trying to rectify it a bit further. And when it comes to outsourced, whether that's F&B operations, probably the most common one in golf clubs, in a survey, only 20% were confident that they were up to date, the outsourced company were up to date was the liability there because i think certainly just from a national members perspective they aren't really aware or care that it's outsourced they just see it as part of their club so their standards have dropped within that there's that side of it but what the actual liability side there so again this is something that we've discovered extremely extremely strongly for the reasons you just said that you know most people assumed is because they've passed the obligation on to an outsourced company it's all being done so like one of the questions I'd ask managers or committees continuously, okay, you've outsourced your F&B to Mary, for example, and Mary's looking after the stuff. Well, okay, whilst Mary's got a contract for outsourced side of things like that, at the end of the day, the insurance of the building sits with you know, the club. The liability ultimately sits with the club. The bottom line is, should something go really, really wrong, at the end of the day, most people don't really care that Mary outsourced or not. They're coming to you know, the top of the tree, for example. So as I said, let's pretend that Mary, for example, has outsourced the kitchen and she hasn't done her gas inspection checks, for example, and there's an incident. Mary, for example, you know, hasn't trained her staff sufficiently in terms of food hygiene, and there's a significant outbreak. Um, you know, somebody's going to be in trouble. And the ability to just turn around and say, look, we outsourced to Mary. She was doing it. You know, it just doesn't wash. Because then they Mary's effectively subcontracted out to do the work, and that's for anything like that. You know, I was on with a, a club there uh, earlier this morning, and they're saying, "Look, you know, we outsource our maintenance side of things like that, and you know they check our lakes and things like that." Um, and say, "Look, that's all brilliant, but have they got you know the safe working procedure in place that you can stand over?" You know? so the bottom line is, if you're outsourcing stuff, which yes, food and beverage is the main bits and pieces, you know. Again, from the pro shop side of things, whilst you know, safety is very, 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 very minimal risk in terms of, but at again, there's the same side of risk like that. So for example, have we got the appropriate certification, you know, down to if we're coaching children, you know, have child protection courses been done as appropriate or they up to date. So the bottom line is whether they outsource or not, they have to be thought of still as an integral part of the team and the club, the manager and the committee still need the appropriate sort of checks and balances, which is again, it's another checklist, it's another piece of paper, it's another Excel spreadsheet or something that if people are doing it right at the minute, they're running after, whereas in the Obby platform, it all sits on the one dashboard. Mm. One thing that's just come to mind with the cost of 
potentially potential accidents and payouts plus and the fact that a lot of clubs and managers think you know it hasn't happened yet to us i suppose one way of almost pricing that in is using probability so i'm sure there's easy enough to find data of what's the probability of a hand injury at a golf club and what's the average payout to then work out kind of the annual cost to that if it's a 10 percent probability and a hundred thousand payout well it's worth ten thousand pounds per year is almost your guaranteed amount you have to pay out because eventually it will happen if you're in a lot of these clubs around for hundreds of years i suppose that's almost one way to get around the the fact that it's not always thought about as having happened it's the probability of it well i think it's, it's a good point and again with that level of sophistication uh, and again you're you're much further ahead than i would ever be like that and it's probably very likely but i think if we take it an awful lot more simpler than that if you take two imaginary clubs tomorrow morning and they're all the same in every single aspect apart from club a sort of ticks along at sort of minimum standards gets by maybe the wee bit below like that and club b has invested a little bit more for their team members that they really take the safety, the training, the standards of their team so high that they want to basically look at the team members. The better the team are, the standards. This is not just all about health and safety. So Obby's got a full training platform. So we can increase standards, increase training, right down to like food and beverage staff, you know, how to serve better. So it can handle anything. We're coming back to just the staff side of things like that. If we know that the shortage of labor and talent in the industry and across the whole of the, the world at the minute, if I'm a staff member and I'm standing in club one or I'm standing in club two, I know where I'm more valued. I'm no more respected. And what is the exact measurement of the way you're talking about that? Is it quantitative coming out? I don't know, but I'm probably likely to be, if I feel a bit more valued by you as my manager, Ed, you put this in place. Well, I'll probably work a little bit harder. I'll certainly give you more loyalty. You know, I might try it a little bit. I might deal with problems that otherwise you don't know about. I may be there longer. So just on that one thing alone that you can't put in. But go on the other side of the thing, and you know, hiding there at the minute, whilst we're in the early stage of conversation the first year, they've went the other side and they say, well, actually, if you can provide us with tangible data, which we can in the Howden team have seen it, they're very, very confident that this can actually lead to you know, lower premiums. Because again, if they take two clubs, and they can say, well, actually, Club A and Club B is exactly the same in all aspects. Apart from Club B, we can see that actually they're doing all their things. They have all their certification up to date. They've got all their checks done, as opposed to Club A is just ticking to say they've done it. Club B has got all in place can prove it. Well, that allows the Howden and the insurance guys to say, well, look, this club clearly takes it much more serious, and therefore they can help with that. So there's lots and lots of benefits on both sides. Mm, yeah, that's an interesting point to make. I thought it was interesting that 6% of clubs think that at least some of their certificates, audits and mandatory certificates are not up to date. So it shows that there's there's the awareness there that they're not up to date. And then two thirds thought it could save them money by having all these requirements achieved. So there seems to be that general kind of knowledge and awareness of the importance of it and maybe just not quite yet the the action to go with it and yeah that's exactly why you know as i said the competition we won last year we won as one of the most innovative software companies in the whole of the uk simply because the fact as an operator 
the challenge that I would say, and it came out in the survey, the biggest reason that people are not doing it, other than they don't know about it, is time. They're getting caught up as operators in all of the other things. So if I'm a general manager, and I'm supposed to ensure that all my greenkeeping staff are complete update and training, I'm supposed to ensure that all the checks are done. My head greenkeeper, for example, he or she is supposed to ensure everything else is done, et cetera. Every one of those checks to ensure that the thing that the person is supposed to have done, I fulfill that obligation, that takes time, which we don't have in most cases. That's why OBI is completely different because you know we cut out you know about 75, 76% of the admin time to start with. We facilitate instant overview of the side of things. And it's not that there's not a desire. There absolutely is a desire. But the solutions previously have been run around, open the file and cabinets check, open up your Excel documentation, have a look at that. Look at our paper book. Look at the big folder that you say is sitting on the desk, probably covering dust that hasn't been open for three years, et cetera, et cetera. So those solutions have been as good as they could be at the point in time. The reason why Obby is completely different, the reason why we're signing up some of the top clubs in the industry and getting the you know, support and endorsement by all the people is all that we have done as a team is taken that technology and significantly advanced it, ultimately to do one thing, help club managers to make the clubs safer, more effective and productive for all their teams. From the qualitative interviews you did, were there some interesting findings from that that we haven't touched on yet? Um, I think probably the sort of conversation, again, there was maybe a sort of a, I don't necessarily mean a, a, an ignorance, but an assumption maybe is a better, well, look, I'm a club. I have got an outsourced safety consultant. They come on site for me once a year. Therefore, I'm covered. You know. And the question we sort of said is a bit like the person with the pen drive earlier on at the other extreme. You know, we would very strongly advocate you know, a consultant being on site who is experts and knows all the bits and pieces and can look at stuff like that. The challenge is, and we've heard this from some of the top safety consultants in the country, as well as some of the top clubs, that consultant is there for one day. They look at things at one point in time and they will say, for example, you know, your training is up to date or it's not. Your checks are all up to date or not. So let's take the perfect club that that consultant walks into and says, everything is done perfectly. Your checks, your balances, your, everything is done. Well, tomorrow morning, if one of the team decide not to do a further check or a week later, somebody's training expires or three months later, that outsourced food and beverage catering person didn't check the gas certificate expired. It's at that single point in time. So that probably was an awareness for many in the industry to sort of think, well, look, we're using this consultant, therefore we must be perfect. But when you actually just ask that hypothetical question, how do you know over the next 12 months before your consultant comes back that you're valid, you know, 223 days in, God forbid that something happened on that day. And they went, oh my goodness, I never thought about that. Whereas again, come back to the conversation all the way. Again, every single minute of every single day of every single week, the system acts as that sort of personal reminder expert that if something is going out of date or better still actually proactively, if it's going to go out of date, it messages people in advance. And it's trying to sort of act as that go between help the manager facilitate, you know, driving standards around their club, but be like a personal reminder and a sort of continuous helper. And I've note, Obby seems to have a, a goal of growing globally to be the number one compliance platform. What yeah. some of the challenges you foresee with that? As I've, every country has their own nuances with compliance. Yeah. Is that going to be a case of having partners in countries that then 
help with that? What's, how, how, what's your yep. vision for that? Um, I think, Ed, as you said, you've, you've, you've hit it perfectly. Um, from you know, the golf side of things, we strongly believe we can be the number one compliance, safety and training platform globally in a digital side of things. Uh, the bigger picture, actually, from speaking to many in the golf industry, we believe we can extend this into wider sports. But you talked about the challenges. You know, the single biggest challenge is taking our team first and foremost is uh, expand that proportional to the growth plans we've got. You know, just at the minute we're closing out a, a major investment round. Um, straight off the back of it, within literally weeks, we're going to be hiring in new members of team members. Um, you know, we're going to go on business development, uh, salespeople, customer service people. Um, you know, some people new marketing and engineers uh, and technology people. Now, that's something, again, you know, good people are always hard to find, but, you know, we will find we have an amazing team there at the minute. But I think that the biggest challenge really is come back to the conversation, hence why with the survey, is that even again this morning, I spoke to some clubs uh, out in Dubai, and the same conversation is that, as I mentioned for the manufacturer that spoke to me and advised me a year ago, is that, unfortunately, health and safety does not sit where it needs to sit and where it should sit within the industry. Generally speaking, if you run you know, enough clubs like that. So it's really that awareness that actually safety needs to be sitting up there, whether you're a committee member and you're sort of saying, well, look, you know, for example, we tick a box the minute you surely that keep us safe like that. Coming back to those sort of standards and saying, as an industry, we need to sort of be much more aware of how do we make things safer, better, and drive the sort of productivity side of things um, is probably the, the biggest bit. After that, going to other countries, you know, we're a full cloud-based platform, as I said. I've done a demonstration to a, a club there in Dubai in the exact same way as I can do one in Dublin or the same one that I can do just down the road. Any club that starts with D, we can do it too. No problem at all. <laughs> the same from the rollout, the training, everything is online, which again, you know, several years ago couldn't have happened, which is again come back to this, the reason why we're sitting as innovation. We're using other practice there. Like our business would not have existed four to five years ago because the technology and the cloud and all those things weren't supportive of that. But it's really, as I said, the how we're going to, yeah, we're working with partners already across the UK uh, and Ireland. Um, you know, no more than, as I said, like, you know, the GCMA, the CMA, those sort of people, hiding insurance as a, a, a massive advocate and supporter of the system. So we'll continue to grow that network of partners and then take it uh, from an expansion alongside that. Hmm, interesting. You mentioned a bit earlier about best practice and minimum compliance. Can you touch a bit more on kind of how you see the differences uh, between between those two? Well, you know, I, I was chatting earlier about that fire side of things, you know, and just refreshing back, you know, legal minimum requirement is one check a year. Best practice is check it weekly like that. And everything else in between is somewhere half and half. So, you know, technically, if I check my fire alarms in a golf club once a year from an external contractor, I've met my standards. But it's come back to that best practice. Well, look, how really difficult it is for somebody to set off the fire alarm every Monday at 11 o'clock? Well, if you put a process in place, it takes 30 to 60 seconds. It's not that difficult and record it off like that. If we then say down to, for example, you know, training of staff, well, look, that big folder that you talked about previously, which, you know, good clubs, most of them are using. Well, how do we get that big folder with all the policies, all the procedures, all the risk, all the stuff, how do we distribute that around our staff members and let them see it and get them signed off and put in their filing cabinet or in their personnel file? That's much more difficult, but it's not impossible because people have been doing it for years, but it takes time and takes effort like that. Whereas the sort of question we're looking at here now is, firstly, 
how do we get people up to meeting the legal minimum standards because they're not doing because of the time and all those things talking. And then once you've done that, how do we then get to sort of more best practice? Uh, and ultimately this comes, if we can do the first by saving an awful lot of time, it then gives you more time to invest into the other things, including just looking after, driving your golf club, speaking to members, dealing with customer complaints, making captains day better, et cetera, all those operational side of things. Mm. I think it's it's a worthy ambition and goal. And I think most golf club managers or club managers in general would always aim for best practice across everything. And it really is absolutely no reason why safety and compliance should be any different to that. I don't think anyone has any ambitions to meet minimum requirements for the other aspects of their job. So I think it's something which it's a great platform to have in new managers. If we take most people, nobody intentionally walks out tomorrow morning and purposely puts their hand in a piece of green keeping machine and chops off their hand. You know, the best practice and minimum standards, all those things come back to, look, I want to go to a day to work. I want to do a good job. I want to have, you know, enjoyment. I want to come home safe and stuff like that. I, as a manager, want to ensure my staff are looked after, etc. So, you know, that's what we all want. But unfortunately, you know, you look at things, it doesn't always work out like that. And our very simple vision you talked about earlier on, the ultimate side of things is making golf clubs safer for all. That's the bottom line that we're really trying to achieve. Whether we do that in Ireland, we do it in the UK, do it on a global basis. If we take that as our mantra in terms of making golf clubs safer for all and helping the industry, you know, that makes everybody sleep easier at night. So Gareth, do you have anything within your platform or on the website where if there's any club managers who are maybe struggling a little bit getting their committees to understand the importance of this that they could use to help? Yeah, it's a great question, Ed, and it's something we've come up time and time this year where we have a couple of different types of committee member. There is the more educated committee member who maybe has got a safety background and they're sort of going, well, look, you know, sure, that consultant come in one day a year and they're checking that boxes. And more importantly, we've never had an issue. So because we've never had an issue, we're assuming we'll not have an issue going forward, which as we know is not the case. Through to the other side of things is a person who maybe doesn't have any knowledge whatsoever of the consequence of the safety. Well, they're sort of going, well, look, dear Mr. and Mrs. Manager, that's your job. Why would we need any other solution? Just basically get on with it. And they don't realize the time, the pressures, the operational, the managers do their day job, excluding safety that the managers we know we're not getting near to. So we've actually worked over the last couple of months with, again, some of those stakeholders I mentioned earlier including the insurance people, the health and safety people, and several of the club managers across the industry themselves. And we're just releasing actually a, today a document specifically for committees to say, well, look, you do you realize your legal consequences or this? Do you realize your obligations or this? And more importantly, this is how you can make things better. So again, that can be downloaded on our website, www.obby.gov. Perfect. That sounds like a great solution for managers to take a look at. And I'll add a link directly to that document within the show description for people to have some easy access to it. Gareth, thank you for joining me. It's been a really interesting conversation diving into this side of club world and health and safety. Is there anything else you'd like to add for the listeners? Well, first of all, actually, I want to say in the back of your survey, sorry, the diagram, the flow chart of whether you need Obby Golf or not, I really liked how that's laid out. I think that's really, really nicely done. No, well, much appreciated. And just even on that survey, even simplifying it, as we said to a question, the ultimate side of things is, 
are you confident tomorrow morning that if the worst should happen and somebody, you know, the government walks in, the insurance inspector or something walks in, that you're fully compliant? Well, if you are, you're doing an amazing job. If you're not, give us a shout at www.golf and we'll be more than happy to help and advice. Perfect. Well, Gareth, thank you so much. And I'd highly recommend everybody to check out Obby Golf. Thanks a million, Ed. Cheers. Thank you for joining me on this journey as we dive into the world of club management. I hope you enjoy listening to these conversations as much as I enjoy having them. If you do enjoy and get value from them, I have two small requests. Simply subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast listening app and leave a review and share it directly with someone whom you think would benefit from listening. If you're interested in being a guest on this show yourself, then you can reach out to me using the details in the show notes or email me modernclubmanagement at pm.me. In the show notes, you will also find a link to my bi-weekly newsletter that complements these conversations where you can sign up to receive these directly into your inbox so that you never miss out. Thanks for tuning in and have an amazing day. This episode is brought to you by Sueda. Sueda is the social learning platform that delivers high quality blended learning with human connection. Sueda is on a mission to revolutionize the digital learning space through restoring the critical element of human engagement that has gotten lost in online learning. The technology provides everything organizations or individuals need on one single platform to achieve meaningful long-term learning success. Using these skills helped me attain a job offer as the director of golf at Golf Digest, top 100 in the world ranked course after I completed their influence and communication courses. But don't just take my word and the 97% five-star reviews it has had on Trustpilot for it. Try it yourself. All you have to do is email david at suada.com, that's S-U-A-D-A.com, and quote the Modern Club Management Podcast to claim your free enrollment onto the reciprocity course to start your journey to become a more influential and persuasive communicator.